Hello. You must have traveled far. Not too many people visit the temple anymore. Not since the reign of darkness began. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. You always say it with a sing-songy voice. That is accurate. I do always say it with a sing-songy voice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to think about that, but welcome to episode 74. I just realized, as I think back to all the episodes that I've listened to, Mm -hmm. which is, I would say, all of them. All of them, because you review all of them. I do. I feel like we we talk a lot in the beginning of the episode, but I never get to hear that conversation again, because I feel like you delete it out most of the time. I do sometimes get rid of the stuff that we talk about, especially when it is weird or bodily function related (laughs) oh that's true that's true anyway so yeah so welcome to episode 74 of classic gaming brothers 74 74 74 yeah i i think we're at that stage where we, we, we can't really make any fun jokes about the age of the podcast anymore Mostly we got there so quick because it's a weekly podcast. And and we're we're getting to the points where the milestones don't mean much until we get to like 100, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The real fun only happens at 100. So, anyway, to get on with video games... Oh, yeah, those things. Zach. Yes, Seth. What have you been playing recently? Seth, recently I've been playing a game that actually I'm pretty sure you recently played many, many, many moons ago. So you mm. didn't actually recently play it, but it was in your recently played. And that is the 2014... Hit game from Devolver Digital, Broforce. So Broforce, for those who don't know, is a side-scrolling run-and-gun platform video game developed by a company called Free Lives and published by our friends over at Devolver Digital. Uh, it's a great, fast-paced action shooter game. So it's, it's almost like your Contras or your Metal Slug-style game, but instead of playing just some generic buff action hero you play as a wide variety of parody action heroes who are all parodies of famous movie characters so there's like a terminator there's like a neo from the matrix there's a mad max there's a james bond there's two versions of chuck norris it's um sylvester stallone plenty of versions of sylvester stallone (laughs) like i think rambo judge dread you know the, the, the whole lot it's it's a a game that's filled with references and jokes related to 1980s action movies and also just action movies in general as well as also kind of parodying other indie games like there's a reference to papers please with one of the countries you visit being a the country from papers please uh it's it's a great game it's really fun it can get really hard especially if you're playing in a way that you're trying to like blast through the level without thinking you'll probably end up dying multiple times if yeah. you do that you actually do have to really kind of calculate how you're going to get through the level even if you're trying to do it as fast as you can um because there are definitely obstacles and stuff that can be an instant kill for your characters 
Um, but each character does have a kind of neat special ability. So, for example, there's a um, one of the Chuck Norris characters tosses a grenade that calls in an airstrike that is red, white, and blue. There's also Neo from The Matrix can slow down time briefly. Uh, Mad Max has a boomerang that just does like a crap ton of damage. Like an Indiana Jones guy. Yeah, Indiana um, Jones who has a whip. And um, James Bond has a variety of gadgets, one of them just being a martini that he drinks and throws on the ground. <laughs> it doesn't actually do anything. Oh, but the, the best part is that all of the characters all have bro-themed names. So, for example, the Robocop is called Brobocop. Uh, Terminator is called Brominator. Um, Snape, Snake Pliskin from Escape from New York is Snake Broskin. There's the uh, Bros in Black, the Men in Black. Bro Dread, Braid instead of Blade. So um, there's it's just all different variations of bro combined with um, the action hero that is um, that you're playing as. So, Seth, what game have you been playing? So, recently I've been playing a game called Emily is Away 3, but it's a heart 3, or a less than, greater than. It's less than, it's a less, Emily is Away less than 3 symbol. The the classic, classic text emoticon, as you For a heart, it. yes. For a heart. And uh, it's on Steam, it just came out very, very recently. Um, as of recording of this podcast probably a couple weeks ago as of the release probably a few more weeks than that it's very similar to emily away one and emily away two however as emily away progresses time progresses and they humorously change the format of the game so emily away and emily way two take place on instant messenger which is by aol instant messenger which is part of it right so that's where emily away comes from because of the away message and that you would be able to put so if somebody's talking you wanted to like yeah not necessarily go somebody but if you wanted to like ignore somebody or draw mystery you would put up your away message right as they're messaging you because that's how it worked back in the day zach i don't i know you don't remember aim very much but i was using aim at the tail end of aim when people yeah. stopped using aim <laughs> so aim aim was great uh, aim got me into a lot of trouble as a child and uh but doesn't get me in trouble anymore because i outlived aim so emily away three actually takes place on a thing called facenook which is not to be confused with facebook even though it looks exactly like it which is great and it actually was it's really cool is the beginning of the game takes place in a new Facebook where there's like reactions where you can heart posts or thumbs up posts and skip posts. And you do that for like a few moments and then it brings you back to time to think about this time that you had experienced back in 2008. So the game takes place in 2008 and it takes place on the, the, the dawn of Facebook where chat functionality was still there the in the social network was just you know you had to invite people and, and you you were just building up your uh, facebook accounts at that time it uh takes place in somebody's senior year of high school and you can you design who you play as so it takes place in your senior year as you get to pick your name and you get to pick your date as part of your sign up for facenook and then uh you chat with various people and the way the chat mechanic works in all of the Emily Away games is that you get a few different options to choose from, and then you have to type furiously at the keys to type out the chat. So like you'll 
there'll be like one, two, or three, and you select three, then you have to type furiously. And part of, at least there was a, a escalating thing in Emily Away and Emily Away 2, where as the story progressed, you got into these intense conversations and multiple people were bombarding you with AOL instant messages. And you had to flip back and forth between all of the different AOL instant messages. And you could lose out on progressing someone's relationship with you because you were distracted by somebody else's. And it really could lose out or and push around the story. Uh, generally, the stories are um, there. You, your character um, attempting to build relationships with uh, your friends and uh, lady friends in the in the game, and attempting to. There's a little bit of romance that's thrown in, and y- you attempt to talk with these people to build up this story and they're they're fun they're fun games uh emily away so it's a it's a they are fun and they're very nostalgic games so a nostalgic game with a of with a fun twist of of a good story the story is told through this kind of chat mechanic and with face and with the new emily away they actually have fake websites built in so the game runs into like a pop-up like an actual browser window how it runs and if somebody sends you a link in the game you can click the link and it will bring you to a fake like youtube where you can listen to the links that they sent you and it is a little ar like a little alternate reality type deal where these you're having this conversation with somebody and they're sending you links and you're going to the links and you're listening to it and then you're telling them like Oh yeah, that was a great YouTube video. Thanks for sending it to me. And it's a game. I recommend picking up Emily Away 1. Emily Away 1 is free on Steam. Emily Away 2 is $4.99. And Emily Away 3 is $9.99. So if you end up liking Emily Away 1, you can go into the, the sequel and then go play the third. It's not necessary to have played the, the previous two iterations of the game. Apart from it being a more frugal experience to play by going through the first, second, and third game. Because the first game is free. So if you play it and you don't particularly like that style of game then you don't have to progress any farther uh whereas if you do like that style of game then you can go cheaply into the second and then um pay the t- i mean it's ten dollars so it's not like for 15 bucks you get three games which is which is good yeah so it's fun emily away three or emily away heart so today we are talking about a game that um it's a lot more simple i think than both games that we talked about I don't know. I think there's a lot of Emily Way 1, 2, and 3 are text games that are driven via words. Yeah, no, I think I think Emily's Away 1 through 3 does pull a lot of probably inspiration from this title. But as anyone who might have read the name of the episode before they downloaded it, we are talking about Zork. That's right. Zork. Z-O-R-K. So like, I think there should be like a scale of video game names. Zork is up there. Like, I definitely think Galaga is like perfect yeah yeah i don't think a game like name beyond galaga galaxian can get more perfect than that but zork is pretty good zork can give it a run for the money zork is a i mean it's a incredibly classic classic adventure game and uh about about time to talk about it perhaps one of the first adventure games one of the probably first commercially successful ones at least (laughs) to say the least because um and, and as we'll get into it zork did have some inspiration from other adventure games that were out but yeah i know seth's a big adventure game fan so we're finally talking about like the granddaddy of adventure games that's right yeah it's a i've i have played zork you have i have yeah i've i have played zork have you did you enjoy playing zork yeah 
I think so. I think you got to be in the... It's, it's a tough it's game a, to get into. It's a tough game. I don't know. Yeah. I got very far in Zork, but I enjoyed my time there. I've played Zork. I've played Zork not only on... Through you DOSBox, played on your, your but Apple I played too. it on my Apple II. Yeah, that's right. Um, as I do have a... Functioning Apple II. With a copy of Zork. Not a original copy of Zork. Ooh. It's a bootleg, but it's still a copy of Zork nonetheless. So... I think I played Zork when I was also playing Muds. Okay. Yep. Which, as a child, can be confusing of what is what because a mud plays very similar to zork right yeah uh, just for any of our listeners who are wondering what a mud is it's a multi-user dungeon and they're text-based so it's very similar to zork since zork is also a text-based dungeon yes whereas with zork it's a, a single player game where a mud is Correct. kind of like an early iteration of what um, mmo it would be, yeah, exactly. it would be zork the mmo essentially yeah um to get into the history of zork so zork definitely has a deep history history and as mentioned zork was heavily inspired by a game called colossal cave adventure which was released in 1975 for the dec or deck pdp 10 specifically the pdp 10 machine located at raytheon bbn technologies in cambridge massachusetts oh they're still there today yes yes raytheon is a is a big major government contractor who um is still around and uh the bbn technologies was actually a subsidiary located in cambridge they had a pdp 10 machine inside and on that pdp 10 a uh, man named will crother wrote the game which was colossal cave adventure uh the game was written entirely in the language fortran which is this kind of archaic programming language from that era of technology. So the 1970s mainframe computers, a lot of them um, were able to compile Fortran language. Colossal Cave Adventure was a two-word text parser adventure game, and it was actually spread around by other PDP users. So through the network, people, the early network of the 70s, people were passing around this copy of Colossal Cave Adventure. And one of the people who eventually got to play it was Don Woods, who was at Stanford University. Now, Don contacted Will Crother and received permission to update Colossal Cave Adventure. And his updated version spread around as well and got back to Massachusetts, where it ended up on a PDP-10 at MIT. And so nice little loop, right? It goes from, yeah. it goes from Cambridge to Stanford, Back to Cambridge. <laughs> right. So one of the people who played this updated version of Colossal Cave Adventure was Dave Lebling. Dave was a member of the Dynamic Modeling Group at MIT's Laboratory for Computer Science. And in 1977, Lebling decided that he could improve Colossal Cave Adventure even further than the improved version that he was playing. He teamed up with some other classmates, Mark Blank and Tim Anderson, to write this new game. They wrote the entire game in a language called MDL, which stood for the Model Development Language and was pronounced Muddle. Now, Muddle was a programming language that was developed for the PDP-10 operating system and was primarily being used at MIT. Um, so if you were an MIT computer person, you probably wrote something in Muddle. So Lebling and his team, uh, Mark and Tim, created this new game and... It is Zork. And Zork ended up making significant changes to the original Colossal Cave Adventure, including the creation of an entirely new map, which had multiple areas to explore, and each area having self-contained puzzles and stories. 
So very like branching storylines with a different experience wherever you go in. And in 1977, with the game being in a runnable state, uh, the team who refer, refer to themselves as imps, which was short for implementers, decided to continue to add new sections. And during this time, they also ported it to run on other operating systems for the PDP, such as the 10X and TOPS 20. Although they had to be given accounts on the machines that ran it to work on those projects. Since this is once again during the age of small machines, which were very large, so generally a university would have one or maybe two if they were rich and so they would in order to get it onto an operating system such as the 10x they would have to go to whoever housed the 10x and say we would like to run this game and install this game on your 10x machine and gain access to the physical room that it existed in versus just they weren't going to go out and buy a 10x machine they would go to where one existed because they were large. <laughs> yeah, or another thing that was a popular method was timeshares back then. So one way that universities might be able to get around having multiple computers was they just bought a timeshare over at the other university that had a massive computer. So even then... They might not have necessarily had to go to the physical location, but they still had to you pay to for a timeshare. Yeah. Yeah. Which was mostly being run by the universities. So you had to go through the university to be like, hey, can we get timeshare on this other university system so that I can play a video game that I'm making? <laughs> so it's like going to the computer lab, except the computer lab could be 30 miles away or more, depending on what machine you wanted to use. Be like, ah, oh, I want to use the Apple today. I got to drive 30 miles to go use the Apple. <laughs> yeah. So the game was also uh, distributed via the ARPANET, which was the beginning of the internet. So the ARPANET was generally a military and uh, universities connection before we decided to connect everything together, which is how the internet was formed. It was also attached to a mailing list. The team continued to work on the game through 1978 and did some final bug tests in 1979, and the final mainframe release was made available in January of 1981. The, the name itself, Zork, came from a nonsense word that MIT hackers would use for unfinished projects. With the game being finished, the team wanted to rename it Dungeon. However, they received a cease and desist from the company TSR, which owned a small game called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> they claimed the game violated their trademark. So the team just changed the name back to Zork, which wh why did TSR just license it? I've no, I, I think this was probably when TSR was still trying to figure out video games. But also my thinking is that, thank goodness they changed the name back to Zork. Because honestly, if this game was called Dungeon, <laughs> that is not a memorable name. There are other games called Dungeon out there <laughs> besides Dungeon and Dragons, you know. Uh, so it, thank goodness, I think, that they picked Zork because it's such a short, identifiable name. And also, if I learned anything from ZZT, it meant that it was on the bottom of lists, which means That's easy right. to find. <laughs> so you could go down the list, you'll see Zork, and then you'll see ZZT right after Zork. And in case anyone was curious, TSR stands for tactical studies rules that they were the 
original game publishers behind D&D. So the source code for the game Zork was also ported over to the Fortran language. So originally, as you might remember, Colossal Cave Adventure was initially programmed in Fortran, but then Zork was programmed in Muddle, so separate language. So someone went and ported it over to Fortran. And when I say someone did it, I mean it was a hacker who actually used a brute force attack to decrypt the encrypted source files of Zork. So the MIT hacker got into it, took the decrypted files, and gave them to a man named Bob Supnik, who was working at Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC the creators of the PDP. <laughs> Bob Subnick used the source files to port the game over to Fortran 4, which was um, just an updated version of the Fortran language at that time. And this allowed it to be run on the smaller PDP 11, which more and more people were starting to adapt the PDP 11 versus the PDP 10 because it was smaller. It wasn't wicked small. It was still the size of a room, but it was the size of like half a room. The Fortran version was also included on distribution media for some operating systems produced by Data General. So when you were getting operating systems from Data General for your mainframes, Sometimes Zork would just be on it. It's a bonus. Yeah, I definitely wasn't approved by the people who made Zork, but you know what? Have Zork. In 1979, Dave Lebling, Mark Blank, and Tim Anderson helped form the company Infocom. And Infocom was originally intended to be a general programming firm, but two members of the original team convinced the founders that they could sell Zork on these new and up-and-coming things called personal computers. Computers, not the size of a room. That's right, computers the size of a VCR. <laughs> there, however, was a, a bit of a problem. You see, personal computers didn't run Muddle. Muddle was a language that was primarily used on MIT PDP systems. Also, most personal computers did not have Fortran compilers. So, it would have been hard to just switch the game over to Fortran and put it out for these personal computers. Another issue was that the game was pretty big for the time. It was over a megabyte in size, which nowadays sounds like nothing, you know? A megabyte probably takes less than a second to download. However, most personal computers only supported 180 kilobyte floppy disks or cassette tapes, neither of which could store a full megabyte without having to have multiple versions or, in the case of a cassette tape, would probably take you, like, 15 minutes to load it. I mean, because cassette tape is loading all of that data from sound. Two of the team members came up with a unique idea. They were just going to make an entirely new computer language. So, they created the Zork implementation language, also known as ZIL. And this was developed to run in a virtual machine. All the team needed to do was simply port this virtual machine called a Z machine to just various platforms. So you make an Apple II Z machine, you make an Atari Z machine, you make a Commodore Z machine, and then you just drop your Zork in and there you go. They also decided that they were going to remove sections of the game to get it to all fit on one floppy disk. And to do this, Dave Lebling actually drew out the map of Zork and then just made a big old circle and erased the parts that were outside the circle. <laughs> he then would go in and modify the code to represent the changes in the map. The sections he cut out would later go on to be used in Zork 2 and Zork 3. Now, a version of Zork was also created for the TRS-80 computer in 1980. And in February, the company began distributing the game through a company called Personal Software, who uh, primarily were putting out like office products like vista calc i believe do you know what this makes me think that all copies of zork in existence are emulated they 
pretty much are. Essentially, the only true version of being able to run Zork, you would have to run it in Fortran or Muddle. So you have to get a Muddle system to run actual Zork. Yes. Because everything else is actually just a virtual machine. They should have put it on the Pippin. <laughs> they should have put it on the Pippin. So, as discussed, Zork is a text adventure game, and it uses a text parser that interprets what the user inputs into actions within the game. We've talked about text parsers before. They're popular in early Sierra games. Pretty much you type go north or take object. You know, simple phrases that translate into you doing something in game. As the game is a text adventure, there are zero graphics besides the text that you read on the screen here, which is one of the reasons it was only a megabyte in size. I mean, again, that was big for the time, but... In modern day, I mean, a game with graphics certainly takes up more space than um, something without. The text will also typically, in, in most text adventure games, the way it works is that the text will describe something in detail and then pose the question, what do you do? So it might describe a room that you're in, um, objects in the room, you know, something maybe on the ground, like a rug that maybe seems to be a little bit off uh you know, it just doesn't look quite right. And then it asks you, what do you do? And that's for you to decide what to do. And the game will also, it will sometimes try to correct you. <laughs> so if you maybe make a typo, or if you put in something that is just not proper game logic, it will say, like, that doesn't make sense, or I don't know how to do that. So if you use a verb that is not familiar to the game's dictionary, it will probably say, oh, I don't know how to do that. It also certainly knows how to get around swears, um, where it might call you out, or of most text adventure games, including Zorik, will sometimes have Easter eggs in, such as if you tell it to, like, eat the rug that you see on the ground, or eat the eat the stick or something. Or say, like, hey, sailor. Or say, hey, sailor. <laughs> which, is a, which is a Zork easter egg so that allows for some fun for people to explore you know trying to find different easter eggs that um that are in the game oh it's a hello sailor yeah they, there's an easter egg in zork where if you type in hello sailor it does something in zork one but it does it will if you type it in zork three it references that the sailor's not there anymore now uh zork is because of the way that they needed to release the game it's broken up into three games which also means that they sold three it was a trilogy it was zork one zork two and zork three uh they all had their own sub lines on release though are mostly referred to as zork one zork two to be honest they're usually when somebody refers to it they refer to it as zork and that is the collection they may even refer to it as zork and not knowingly be referring to it as a collection but yeah. actually be talking about the collection because it is all one game that's just broken up into three parts that was sold in three different games so it is an adventure game uh zork is an adventure game which does involve going through this world and solving puzzles and collecting items. You usually collect these items to solve more puzzles. You sometimes need to combine items. You know, you put like a uh, hook onto rope to make a grappling hook to maybe climb a wall and use that type of logic to solve puzzles. Uh, in Zork 1, which is called Zork 1, The Great Underground Adventure, there are 20 treasures that you have to that you are essentially told to find and zork is an interesting game because you always start off right outside of this house and you just you type it like go north to go to the house 
and it tells is it's like a red house or something like that. Mm-hmm. You can go into the house and investigate it. Uh, but there is very little direction as to what to do in the game uh, until you start really uncovering the story. So you you end up finding a location where you have these trophy cases and. What you have to do, there's 20 trophy cases. You have to find 20 treasures and put the treasures into the trophy cases. That's the premise of the first game. Within that game, there are puzzles to be solved to find those treasures. There is also 28 different ways that you can die, including getting killed by a troll. Now, uh, if you are able to get all of the treasures into the trophy cases, you will be granted the rank of Master Adventurer, and you will get 350 points. And then a magical treasure chest will appear. And within that treasure chest, you will have instructions to go to the second part of the game, which takes place in the Barrows. So you begin Zork 2, which is also known as Zork 2, the Wizard of Frobaz. So Zork has a unique sense of humor. It is very sarcastic throughout the entirety of the game and presents things a little bit with a little bit of glib. And it is a, it's supposed to be a fun experience it's i mean it's named after almost essentially it's named after an unfinished like it's just named after an zork like it's it's an unfinished project but it has that fun aspect of these people just making a game to make a game and that comes through with all the humor now in zork 2 instead of going on a treasure hunt for random items without a story there is a story in zork 2 and that is there's overarching story of trying to avoid this wizard, the wizard of Frobaz. And he has all this magic that he's trying to use do use on you. So you're trying to avoid it while learning to try and control the magic by finding treasures. However, this time the treasures do not just finding the treasures does not end the game. You have to actually use the right combination of the treasures in order to get to the game's finale, which the game's finale will eventually lead you to Zork 3, which will lead you to the game's finale. In Zork 2, there are, instead of 28 ways to die, there are 50 ways to die. And there are also a couple of puzzles, uh, such as the Bank of Zork, which are incredibly difficult to accomplish. Some some would say even infamously difficult to com- accomplish. As with the other Zorks, Zork 3 begins after Zork 2, and Zork 3 is called Zork 3 the Dungeon Master, which is humorous because that is what a person who's called that runs a Dungeons & Dragons game is called the Dungeon Master, and Zork 3 says Zork 3 is about the Dungeon Master. So... The the objective in Zork 3 is you, as a player, are trying to become the Dungeon Master. Because you've already gone through all these trials, you're a Master Adventurer, and you want to become this Dungeon Master. So you have to first wear the right clothing to become the Dungeon Master, because you have to wear what Dungeon Masters will wear, which I hope is just like robes and like a hat as they run a D&D game. And you have to go through a final test. There are less ways to die in Zork 3 than Zork 2 with only 30 ways to die. And the scoring was changed up in Zork 3. So instead of points being rewarded just by finding treasures and collecting them, they were rewarded for creative solutions to problems versus versus actually solving them. So if you cleverly solved a problem, you would get more points than if you just solved it simply. Zork was an exceptionally sold franchise, especially for what it it was. 
And it's essentially somebody took their, I would say, almost like your school project and sold it, right? It's like taking your science fair project and bringing out your volcano and selling commercial products for it. Infocom ended up selling more than 250,000 copies of the original three games, all by 1984. And by 1986, that number exceeded a half a billion to come in at 680,000 copies, which was split up between 379,000 of Zork 1, 173,000 of Zork 2, and 129,000 of Zork 3. And then the ramp up really got going between 1982 and 1984. So 1981, which is when the game was released, there were actually very little amount of sales. Mm. And then by 1986, I noticed the curve started to trend downwards based on shipments published by Infocom in 1986. In 1986, Zork actually represented one-third of Infocom's total video game business. So they made other video games beyond Zork, and but Zork really did well when it came to selling. According to an old GamePro issue that came out in 1993, Zork had sold 2 million copies by the time the issue was released. And during that year, a fully graphical version of Zork for the first time ever was released. Zork, Return to Zork. And it was released by Activision and Infocom. And it is pretty amazing. So it is a treat. It is fully graphical and it is not fully graphical in any way that you're imagining. It is fully graphical with live action actors. And some of these live action actors look like Queen Amidala from the like the Phantom Menace with some ridiculous dresses and headwear and what they actually did was so they filmed the zork actors and then they digitized them and then took those digitized actors like mike tv from Willy wonka and put them against computer generated backgrounds that were very very detailed and meshed them all together to have these live action digital actors up against a detailed computer background to make Zork a real place. I think if you have fond memories of playing Zork and imagining the world of Zork in your head, I don't know if you'd want to play Zork 2 or Return to Zork. It's not Zork 2, it's Zork Return to Zork. Because it may, sometimes I feel like it's just like reading a book. You know, sometimes the book it's best just left in the mind and not reimagined by actual people with visuals. One of the actresses in one of the actresses in Zork Return to Zork is Robin Lively, who later went on to have a role in the Karate Kid Part Three. Fun, <laughs> yeah. Not Karate Kid Part One or Two, but now Zork, like a lot of titles that we've talked about, has been heavily ported to other systems. And not only was there the early computers of the 1980s, such as the IBM PC, TRS-80, Apple II, Commodore 64, etc., etc., but also there were versions made for MS-DOS and Macintosh a little later, and even Japanese exclusive versions on the Sony PlayStation and the Sega Saturn. The Sega Saturn version is actually a combination 
of the original Zork and Zork Return to Zork. Oh. Yes. The PlayStation 1 is not. The PlayStation 1 is just a port of the first Zork to the PlayStation. It's a text adventure game on the PlayStation. It is wild. It's just like text with like music going on in the background and colorful like things behind the text. It's just a wild thing to think that on the PlayStation of all places, there is a copy of Zork, but only in Japan. Now, there are also sequels and spinoffs such as the Enchanter trilogy and later games like Zork Nemesis, Zork Grand Inquisitor, and Zork the Undiscovered Underground. There was also an MMO called Legends of Zork, which launched in April of 2009 on April 1st and abruptly stopped on May 31st, 2011 without anyone being told that it was going to stop. So that means people were playing the game probably on May 31st, 2011, and all of a sudden, servers went offline. Was it a graphical MMO? I'm like 90% sure it was. It looks like Neopets almost. It does kind of give me a Neopets vibe. I don't know how big the fan base was i'm not assuming it was massive but just imagine you're playing this game that you really like with your friends and all of a sudden like the page just crashes and you can't refresh it and then all of a sudden it's like never goes back online again sad days well but didn't uru just come back online though <laughs> the one the one uru fan is gonna be so excited Anyway, Seth, that is uh that is our episode. Well, well, at least that's our game. Our episode that is our episode about our game. Stay with us a little while longer while we talk about things that we want to buy, wait, or pass on. However, before we leave Zork, I want to say the thing that I always say is it was great to visit Zork. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Maybe we'll cover Zork Return to Zork sometime. Zork being what it was in the time that it was created, really led the way for especially adventure games and text parsers to then evolve to point and click adventure like it was a natural evolution which i mean we would then also have to give credit to credits due and give the colossal cave adventure which was originally developed that was modified to become zork so there's all this inspiration inspiring inspiring other inspirations so you have colossal cave adventure inspired and helped create zork and zork helped inspire and create other text parsing adventures and eventually uh, text parsing adventures helped create point and click adventures which have helped create adventure games in the genre as it is today and without it we wouldn't have had gems such as the return to monkey island maniac mansion loom um all of these like great adventures games, The Longest Journey. I love The Longest Journey. Would not would not be where they would be if it wasn't for Zork and the the previous games before it. And and certainly Zork also paved the way for things like Muds, which paved the way for um you know massive multiplayer online games, MMOs. Yeah. So um you know Zork is kind of that game that you know people may have heard of. I don't even know if many people have played, but it certainly has that. It's it's like the cornerstone of an entire genre without it there really wouldn't be a way to structurally hold up the rest of the history that's right it's yeah it's it's definitely if if you ever have wondered where certain things come from and or where that like where that inspiration comes from it's not maybe not necessarily zork but um it definitely helped zork definitely was one of those cobblestones in the pathway to 
where we are today. If you are interested in playing Zork, so for six bucks you could buy Zork on Steam. You can also buy Zork on Good Old Games, probably for an equal price. You can also go to the archive.org and search for uh, Zork, and you could probably play it in your browser. Oh yeah, I mean if you there's there's a a website I think that just has it built into a browser using yeah, so a, using a Z machine that was made for HTML, so it's the same thing. So you could just go go to Google and say "play Zork Online" and you'll be able to play it. And uh, so if if you feel like you have to spend money to play a game, you can buy it on Steam. And if you just want to play the game or check it out to maybe see what an original text parser game played like, go ahead and uh, Google Zork. Archive.org is also a great resource if you want to play older video games in your browser. You can play classics such as like Oregon Trail, Zork. Well, another way you can play, well. I don't know if it's a way you can play Zork, but um, there were also a line of Zork choose your own adventure novels. Ooh. Yeah. I actually have I have one called Zork, The Forces of Krill that I found. It is book one of the Zork adventure novels. It's actually written by one of the guys who wrote the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game. Have you read it? Uh, not, I haven't read through the whole thing. Um, but I played through it a bit. It's fun. I love choose your own adventure novels, but I'm sure you can find them. They're probably not that expensive. But yeah, so that's Zork. Zork is a fantastic game. Well, it's time to, for the part of the episode where we go into our buy weight pass. Zach, are you excited to talk about what you are excited about buying, waiting, and passing? Because I'm going to go first. Yeah, let's listen. So I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing a game called Hood outlaws and legends uh this game is being developed by sumo digital and is being published by focus home interactive and is due out on may 10th of 2021 it is a violent and medieval world where you have to outplay rival gangs in an intense pvpve multiplayer heists moving in stealth to steal treasures unseen or dominating through loud and brutal combat Only the best will escape with hard-earned riches. So here's how I feel about this game. It looks like it is A, it's Hood, so it's a Robin Hood-based game, as evident by the name Hood. Um, Well, I guess Hood could stand for a lot of things, and also negative things, but in this instance, it's standing for Robin Hood. And you, I guess you, you, based on the screenshots, you play as, I guess, maybe good guys or bad guys? And so the way that the game works is that there are two teams of four that play against each other. These two teams of four are essentially groups of thieves. So one, there's one group that there's one team versus another team. And what each of these teams need to do is compete against each other to pull off the perfect heist because there is a medieval environment that you're in that's patrolled by artificial intelligence guards so ai guards so you have to outthink your opponents in pulling off the heist while also avoiding npc guards which is kind of cool i i I like that approach because it's kind of like a competitive payday except set in the medieval ages so which if you're not aware uh payday is a bank robbing simulator where you and a team of your friends rob a bank or various other businesses and is a lot of fun and hood looks like it's payday except you're competing against rival bank robbers in the middle ages 
and there's still guards. So I'm going to put this down as a weight because it looks like it would be de dedicated on having a good crew to run with. And I don't particularly work alone. Mm -hmm. I don't like I don't like You're the opposite groups. of Batman. I am the opposite of the Batman. So yeah, so if I get a good crew uh, and some friends that would also pick up this game, it looks like it's gonna be retailing for thirty bucks or forty for your year one edition, which includes a battle pass. Because why not? Because I guarantee you, there's gonna be loot box mechanics and all sorts of fun mm like uh fun dlc pay to play type deals in these type of games but anyway i'm very much interested in playing this game since i like heists i like middle ages and i like robin hood so i'm gonna put it down as a wait yeah I'll put it on my wish list so seth my by weight pass is life is strange true colors which has a estimated release date of september 10th 2021 this is actually a game that uh, i think this is one of the first byway passes that i've done in a very long time that actually has a set release date it's not like to be determined <laughs> so life is strange true colors is uh due to be out in september and it's going to be released on a variety of consoles microsoft windows playstation 4 playstation 5 the xbox series and it's being published by square enix and developed by a company called deck nine life is strange true colors is a sequel to Life is Strange, which was an adventure game that came out a few years ago uh, where you played as a young girl who's attending school and you develop a power to change time. Um, and you use that power at first to your advantage, but then things start going haywire. In this game, you play as Alex Chen, who needs to hide her psychic power of empathy which is the ability to absorb the emotions of others. When her brother dies in a quote-unquote so-called accident, Alex must embrace her power to find the truth. Seems cool. Um, I played a little bit of the first Life is Strange, but I actually haven't finished it yet. Um, I do know the ending, so it's not like I'm, uh, I've been spoiled. But it's a, it's a really cool game, I think, because it's very, very decision-based, and um, like your choices do matter when you're playing the game. Um, it's also kind of, I think, a unique take on the adventure game, um, just as it incorporates something that kind of can make, uh, kind of create this change, which in, in the first game's uh, case, it's the ability to reverse time. But in this case, it's going to be the ability to absorb emotions. So I'm really curious to see how that's going to come into play. I will put it down as a wait, though, because I, again, I haven't finished the first Life is Strange. So once I have finished the first Life is Strange, then... I'll put it down potentially as a buy, depending on how I feel. But uh, yeah, uh, life is strange, true colors. I will do the thing, the wrap up. I'm sure everyone who's listening is excited to hear about different ways that you can contact us, support us, or listen to us. So if you want to contact us, the easiest way would be sending us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or you can also send it to seth at classicgamingbrothers.com zach at classicgamingbrothers.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com it all goes to the same gmail box send it on over and we will read and respond to all inquiries we like getting feedback both positive and critical feedback uh, as both types of feedback help us improve the show that we want to bring to you. If you have an idea for an episode, uh, let us know. We cover all sorts of things, 
primarily related to 100% related to video games at this time, but uh, it always will have a video game, I guess, a theme to it. So we we definitely like taking any topics on those uh, on that particular on that on our genre as it were so yeah so reach out if you don't want to send us an email and you want to fill out a form you can go to our website which is www.classicgamingbrothers.com and on that website is a form under the contact you can fill that form out and that will also send us an email to our inbox and we'll be able to read it and you don't have to provide us with a real email in fact that's how the spammers do it and that's why we get a lot of spam so you don't want to email us you don't want to send a contact but you still want to contact us some other way head on over to facebook instagram or twitch facebook is classic gaming brothers our instagram is classic gaming brothers and our twitch is classic gaming brothers you can send us messages on all those platforms i'm pretty sure you can also follow us on twitter which is cg brothers pod and all of our social medias we send out announcements based on when our episodes drops which happen on sunday and if we drop any extra episodes uh we will also announce them there so if then if you want to support us you're already supporting us by listening to this episode and we always appreciate the listening of the episode it's the number one way you could support us is listening to this episode and the number two way is telling somebody else to listen to this episode so if you want to accomplish if you want to support us the best thing you could do is just keep on coming back week after week listening to our episodes and us ramble on about video games or video game hardware or arcade games or what have you and just listening and enjoying and and being in the room with us and having that experience the next best thing that you can do is tell somebody tell somebody and just go up next to them and say i listen to a podcast whisper and say i listen to a Whisper the that you listen to a podcast and then say it's called Classic Gaming Brothers and tell them that it's about two brothers and they talk about classic games. The premise is there, right? What what more is there to like? And and if there is more to like, just let us know and we'll we'll work on that. Finally, to listen to us. Well, so if you're listening to this particular audio, you figured it out once. So I I would like to congratulate you on doing that. You can continue on however you listen to us this time. You can continue using that to go forward. However, if you would like to listen to us on other mediums, we are available on most major podcasting applications uh, such as iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And uh, you could always let people know that, hey, you know, if you want to listen to us on Spotify or or so on and so forth. Just let them know that you they could just generally search for us, Classic Gaming Brothers. Uh, you can also listen to us on our lounge, which is our website, but really is just a browser. So if you want to listen to us on a browser, you can do that. And that's pretty much it. I feel like that was a really rough job going through there, but eh, that's how it is. <laughs> you, know if it, uh, you know, if it's really bad, I'll just take one from a previous episode and drop it on. <laughs> I know. I know. Zach, did I miss anything? Oh, yeah. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. We've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's That's right. right. What are you singing? Oh, you're doing our logo. Does Zork doesn't even have? Oh, Zork Return to Zork probably has. I I gotta play some Return to Zork. I do too. Zork Return to Zork. I gotta return to Zork. Oh yeah, it's probably on.